We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, special guest, Lucas Kaplan of Nets Republic. And Lucas, we are talking about a Nets winning game two over the Celtics, 130-108. How are we feeling? Life is pretty good. That's how I'm feeling. Yeah. It was nice nice to just watch that as a fan. I'll probably rewatch it later, look for some more, you know, tactical information. But that was just a good time. Yeah, a really, really relaxing playoff win. And that's not something you commonly say in the NBA, specifically with the Nets. But we'll jump into that and more. As always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms. But, Lucas, I guess let's start with that first quarter. You know, the Nets got super hot in that one. Joe Harris was cooking. They ended up winning the quarter 40-26. to What went right for the Nets to start this game? Well, it's funny. It started out, I think, like 14-13, something like that, in the first five minutes. Both teams were scoring the ball pretty well. I think the Celtics were like five, six for their first eight. But the thing with Brooklyn is you just know that's going to be the pace of the game for 48 minutes. It's not a run. It's just how they play. Um, but what was super nice to see is that the offense felt completely different from game one. I mean, a lot of the actions started off with isolations, but the Nets really got the ball in rotation, got the Celtics defense in rotation. And you know the offense is clicking when Joe Harris is your leading scorer in a half, more so than Kyrie or Harden or Durant. That's just a sign of the ball movement and guys uh, really bending the defense. 
A hundred percent agree. I think when you're getting Joe the wide open looks that he was getting in this first quarter, like you said, the offense is in sync and things are moving. And I felt like in this first quarter, they did a lot better job of playing off of each other. You know, KD kind of talked about in game one, they're a little, you know, frazzled, a little excited. They kind of all wanted to go at it. And in this game, you could tell there was more of a relaxed vibe and like, okay, this is what we're going to do here. This is going to lead to open shots. And it was just like a very calm 40 point first quarter. You know what I mean? They were just so under control. And I think they had like 12 assists in that first quarter or close to double digits. And that's just such a big factor in comparison to game one where we only saw 18 assists overall. For sure. It's funny that this isolation heavy team, you think about all the one-on-one offense, when they're clicking, it really leads to a ton of assists yep. because the options start very similarly. I mean, the way they're getting into the flow of their offense, it's not bad to hunt out matchups. I mean, that's what they do. They see KD posting up Evan Fournier, and there's a concerted effort to get him the ball. But then what happens is the ball comes back out. It gets swung to the second side. Guys are attacking closeouts, and the offense comes from there, and that's where you see all the extra passes and assists. But it really did feel like Nets basketball. There just aren't enough Celtics on the court that can guard these guys one-on-one, and it's great to take advantage of that. 100%. Do you think the Nets did a better job of attacking closeouts in this game? I think so. Everybody just seemed a little bit more decisive, and you yep. can see that with closeouts, um, with attacking closeouts, that is. There were a few times in game one where you know Harden passed up a couple open shots, or they weren't, they weren't sure if they wanted to shoot it or get a better look. This one just, I think you'd agree, felt a lot more natural. And when yep. you're not thinking about attacking closeouts, you can attack them better. Yeah, it was just natural basketball out there. And that's why we also saw a ton of great basketball plays, you know, multiple passes, great cuts, whatever it was. It just led to a lot of excitement in this one. But I guess getting back to Joe Harris, who had 25 points, 9 of 14 from the field, 7 of 10 from three, four rebounds, three assists, two steals, a block. I mean, what did you think of Joe Harris's game tonight? It was awesome. It was great to see. I mean, when Joe Harris first started becoming a true NBA caliber player, and then above that, an above average player, and um, elite in his role, this was always sort of the ultimate destination for him. You could just picture him having this sort of impact as an ancillary offensive player that has not a random, but a spontaneous 10 for 14 game, or 9 for 14 games, you said. He hits seven threes. He's just in all the right spaces. And he adds so much value in the very limited time that he can. Um, This is the Joe Harris dream. And it was great to see, man. Yeah, it really was. And I mean, it just kind of, especially when it happens early in the series, and obviously we don't think this Celtics net series is going to go very long, but you, you get Joe this type of confidence. And obviously there was the question marks about, you know, is this guy, can he perform in the playoffs? And for him to have a type of performance like this, and like you said earlier, like when the ball is fizzing and the, the ball's moving around the perimeter, that's when Joe Harris gets looks and that's when he's the most effective. And that's when the Nets offense is just essentially unstoppable because it's like, oh yeah, we're going to send that extra attention to Kevin Durant or James Harden's going to draw it to the paint we're going to make a couple passes and joe harris is going to get some open threes and then also i thought he had a couple nice passes himself in this game he did and that's joe harris has taken yet another leap this year in terms of his decision making with the ball um and that includes now passing especially passing off the dribble and you know once he gets going once he gets those open looks we saw a couple handoffs with blake griffin we saw him curl off a few screens you get him going and it bleeds into every other part of his game. I mean, 
you can be used to not touching the ball for long stretches of time as you are when you're Joe Harris. And you'll talk to the media and you'll say, you know, you got to play the same way every, every possession, no matter what. But the fact of the matter is guys move different when they see the ball go through the rim. Yep. Um, no matter who you are, how big of a star you are. And you look up, he hits a few threes. Next play, he's getting a steal. He's breaking up a handoff and taking it the other way for two. He's playing solid man-to-man defense. Uh, the ball carries life with it, and that life was just all over Joe tonight. It was great to see. Yeah, I, I love that point, Lucas. I thought that was great because, again, the energy was really there for Joe. Like you said, disrupting some things defensively, getting a couple steals in there. It's just like Joe Harris had this like instant vibe to the first quarter that really just kind of popped the nets over the top. And then from that point on, they really never looked back, and it was a pretty comfortable win. Yeah, one last thing I have to say about Joe Harris is that I so admire on – his drives, which can be conservative at times. He'll get into a jump stop, and if he doesn't have anything, he'll just turn around and fire the ball back to the perimeter. He'll reset the offense. He's not turning the ball over um, on these drives anymore at all. He's just a very measured player, just knows what he's so aware, so self-aware, knows what his role is, knows what he should be doing. And when a guy like that gets going, it's a good sign that it's going to be a good night. And he really, more than anybody, set the tone. He let the Celtics know we're not missing any open or contested looks tonight. Yeah, 100% agree, like you said. But moving on to you know probably the best net tonight on both ends of the floor, Kevin Durant, 26 points, 8 of 12 from the field, 2 of 2 from 3, 8 of 8 from the free throw line, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal, 4 blocks, was playing defense on Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, providing rim protection. Just an overall impact from Kevin Durant tonight. And it didn't even feel like he dominated to the full extent of his abilities. I yep. mean, 26, 8, and 5, that was, that was a casual 28 or 26, 8, and 5 from KD. Um, like you said, what, did he only take 12 shots? Yep. Uh, the floor, obviously, 8 free throws too, but he, he can have so – he. People will say this, he's the most malleable star. And nights like tonight make you agree. He's just out there doing his thing. The ball doesn't stop in his hands. He's contributing on defense. This was an easy superstar performance for him. Um, He'll probably sleep pretty easy tonight. Yeah, I think you you nailed it. You know, just very casual. You know what I mean? He wasn't necessarily putting in a ton of effort, but he had his fingerprints on a lot of different areas in this game. You know, be it the scoring, be it the assist, be it the blocks at the rim. But also, I love the fact the way he was playing defense on Jason Tatum. And then he was picking up Kemba Walker at half court at different points in this game. So just that overall vibe of being locked in, I think it really helps some of, you know, the less experienced Nets or even some of the more experienced guys just seeing your best player, your leader and Kevin Durant going out there and setting the tone on both ends. And he's just their ultimate – they have a lot of trump cards on offense, but he feels like their ultimate one where if things aren't going well um, and teams, as they do, are switching, you can get KD isolated on any spot of the court. He's going to be fine, and all you can play offense out of there. Um, he is just – feels like the best player on the court, even when he's not controlling the action as much as he could. Um, there were a lot of reasons the Nets won tonight, and the Celtics did not really have a chance from the jump. But when you look across the court and you're down 15 and you see KD, it just feels overwhelming. Yeah, especially when he hits, you know, just a jumper in your eye. You know, even when you get contact on his elbow, it still goes down. I mean, if you were Boston, like, how would you look at defending him in Game 3 and Game 4? Did they have any answer, or is it just kind of, 
you know, let the bleeding happen. When we talk about a lot of the Nets' potential matchups with teams, I think people tend to go with, well, you know, Katie's going to get his regardless. Uh, there's nothing you can do. Let him go one-on-one and devote attention elsewhere. And it's hard to argue with that strategy, but you got to just be physical with him. You got to push him around early. There's no guarantee that'll work, but you really got to get into his dribble, into his chest. The problem is when he's feeling confident, as he was in that first quarter, I think he had two threes from the same spot. He's catching and shooting, and it doesn't matter if you're. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Contesting. Yeah. Um, saw in game one, he was a little hesitant at times. He never really got into the flow. But tonight, it was, if I have a semi-contested three, I'm taking it. And you got to just do anything you can to make him feel you. I mean, it sounds cliche, and it's way easier said than done. But if you let him get into a rhythm, it's curtains. Yeah, I think that's perfect. Like, you have to try to disrupt him in some way. But then, you know, the problem is, is that, okay, you know, maybe he's not doing as well in that isolation. He's coming off screens, getting hit by James Harden. He's getting elbow jumpers. And now it's just like, okay, I really don't know what I'm doing here. Like you said, you know, it's tough to stop. The best thing you can do is just hope to make him uncomfortable and force a couple extra misses. But moving on to James Harden, you know, 20 points for him, 6 of 12 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3, 4 of 4 from the free throw line, 5 rebounds, 7 assists, 1 steal. What did you think of Harden's game tonight? It's hard to be anything less than, uh, than thrilled when Harden's on your team uh, running the show. He did such a great job with that second unit after KD and Kyrie's uh, first stint. Um, I think he came back in with Claxton, Shamit, Harris, and uh, Jeff Green, and then Bruce Brown got some run in there. Um, but he was aggressive. He was looking for a shot. And, you know, Nets fans at times this year have been begging him to shoot more. Um, but he came in ready to kill. The lead was at 18-20, and he was going to make sure he either stayed there or he pushed it to 30. Uh, it was really nice to see him come out with that attacking mindset. The one thing, though, I'm sure you noticed is his handle isn't quite where it was before he uh, got shut down with the hamstring injury. Yeah, it needs to get a little crispier. I think in game one, I noticed a little bit of the conditioning. He didn't have the same explosiveness. I think he had a little bit better bounce tonight. So hopefully, you know, Steve Nash did play him a little bit in that fourth quarter. Hopefully that benefits him. But like you mentioned, aggressive in this game, 
saw him knock down a couple step backs, four of eight. Obviously, like you mentioned, the passing, the seven assists, just setting up the offense. I thought defensively still providing some nice physicality in there, active hands. And I mean, Harden's just another luxury on this team, and he's just going to continue to provide, you know, a guy that can hunt some of those mismatches. And it feels like he looks really comfortable attacking pretty much everybody on Boston. Yeah, there's no good matchup for him. Um, Marcus Smart, you'd think, would be the best matchup for him, and we didn't really see a lot of Smart on Harden today. And uh, if he's not on him, man, there's nothing you can do. The three-point shooting is very nice to see um, because that was another area that kind of... Fluctuates a lot with him. Yeah, especially after he first got traded. He sat for a week or two there. But to see him go four for eight, for eight, have his legs under him, that's really nice to see as well. Yeah, and I think that's just kind of like a, a depleting shot for the other team. When you see that step back go down, especially when you're looking at like three seconds left in the shot clock, that's just like, damn. Like, I'm not sure what we can do to stop this team. But moving on to the final member of the big three, Kyrie Irving. You know, a little bit of a quiet game for him, though. 15 points, 6 of 12 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3, 2 of 2 from the free throw line, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, 1 block. You know, not a, an amazing performance, but Kyrie did his job. It's not like the Nets really needed him to provide, you know, one of those 30-point games. Sure, exactly. They really didn't. And Kyrie played about as well as he could have. Yeah. Just didn't, they didn't need him to make a big imprint on the game. And um, that's the luxury, again, you know, of having three stars. I'm sure it wasn't the most taxing playoff game Kyrie's been in. But uh, I'm sure you saw him moving his feet on the defensive end too, man. He was just solid all night. He was just in the middle of everything when he could yeah. be. I really like his engagement that he's been playing with defensively in these two games, even in some of the times where he's getting the mismatch in the post and he's undersized. I think you just appreciate the active hands and trying to make the opposing player a little bit uncomfortable. And I think he's done a really good job of that at different points this season. But like you said, overall, nothing crazy from Kyrie. Pretty easy game for him. Moving to the final starter, Blake Griffin, 11 points, 4 of 6 on the field, 0 of 1 from 3, 3 of 4 from the free throw line, 3 rebounds, 4 assists, had a couple nice dunks in this one. More production from Blake Griffin in Game 2 in comparison to Game 1. Yeah, Game 1, um, my main takeaway was that he did not really play super well. and Looked super tired, too. He did. He just didn't look right. I mean, it's funny because he was the energy guy. That was his... You know, the Nets have a couple energy guys, but we were all so impressed with Blake Griffin's grit and energy off the bench and how he was throwing his body all over the place. And it just kind of looks not there in game one. Um, so just qualitatively, he definitely had more of that in game two, which is nice to see. Yeah, and I think the Nets did a nice job, especially with some of you know the rim protection of Robert Williams or Tristan Thompson and drawing them away from Blake a little bit. And I think Blake was just more active offensively and trying to find those grooves. I honestly don't know if maybe it was a conditioning issue in game one or just the fact that it felt like at different points in the game, the Celtics were going at him like five straight defensive possessions. You know, he did get switched on a couple times in this one. It just wasn't as frequent as game one, it felt. No, it wasn't as frequent. And um I think one of the first buckets of the game, Kemba attacked him coming downhill, and the Celtics were never really able to generate that downhill momentum um, getting towards the rim, getting north to south. Yep. That, that credit is ob obviously goes to the whole Nets defense. They were just on a string tonight, um, which helps out a guy like Blake. You know, individual defense contributes to team defense, which makes your individual defense better, and it's just a cycle. Um, and they all fed off each other tonight. 
Do you think the Nets did a better job in this game of not giving away essentially like what I would call easy switches where a couple times where they actually fight through the screen and be like, okay, well, we're just not going to give you that easy switch in this situation where in times in the past, it's just like, okay, you want to have you know Jason Tatum or Kemba Walker on Blake Griffin. We'll let you have that. It felt like tonight there was a little bit more intensity from some of the guys on the off ball stuff. I definitely agree. Um, the Nets have been super soft with the switching at times this year, just basically letting the offense dictate kind of the terms of engagement. But it goes back to, I think, just a mentality, man. I mean, at some point, you're out, you're just out there playing basketball. Yep. You have pride in guarding your guy. And the scheme says to switch, and you're comfortable switching. But sometimes it's just easier and more – it's making the offense feel you more. I'm guarding my guy. You're guarding your guy. I got this. And the Nets definitely had that pride about them tonight. And they did give up um, – they did give up a, a few less switches, I would say. And the ones they did give up, they worked really hard uh, to play good individual defense. And there were a lot of good digs and shades and help. Um, but yeah, there was just more pride tonight. That's what I chalked it up to. Lucas, what would you say in terms of the Nets defense? Obviously, this is two games into the postseason. Boston's missing Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum left this game. Kemba Walker hasn't been himself. Boston's probably been, you know, one of the more disappointing teams this season due to, you know, health and COVID and all those things. But do you think the Nets defense has made a drastic jump moving into the postseason or this was kind of expected or it's just kind of happening because Boston isn't a very good team? I think it's too early to say if they've made a jump, but I think they're playing defense like a veteran team with dudes that have been here before that don't need to consciously tell themselves this is the postseason. All of their starters, um, Joe Harris, I guess, has the least playoff experience. But your best player's set of tone of this is the playoffs, this is how we do things, it's a different game, and we're prepared for that. And then we're prepared for that. Um, yep. I think we have to see maybe if they play Milwaukee, possibly Miami, just a better offensive team that will try to exploit some of their switching defense more, try to get some slips, some miscommunication going. Uh, we'll really see if their defense has improved, but it's been a very positive sign so far. You would have a lot of confidence in their ability based on what we've seen. Yeah, it definitely feels like there's progress. Like you said, there's still some mistakes out there, and obviously some of the issues are Boston are self-inflicted, but it'll be interesting, too, when they face, like you said, you know, a Bucks, a Miami, uh, even a Philadelphia, or they get further in the Western Conference teams. So it, I'm intrigued by what we've seen so far, and hopefully it kind of continues to grow. And we heard Kevin Durant after the game that sometimes it's a little easier to play defense in the postseason is because you know all the sets the other team is running. You know the principles because you're getting that extra time to kind of scout. And during a condensed regular season and during most regular seasons, you're not necessarily game planning as much to stop a specific team. And it's a slower game. There's less transition offense, which helps. Yep. As well, you don't need to dig up that energy. That energy is just there from the 100%. crowd. Um, you know, just knowing the stakes that are on the line. But yeah, the energy is just there, and I think it makes it easier. So I would give it a positive incomplete. Yep, I agree with that. I think we're seeing a trend in the right direction, but we still don't have enough evidence to kind of make an official statement on it. But talking about some of the other bench guys, you know, Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, Landry Shamit, Nick Claxton, anybody stick out to you a positive, negative way? Um, one thing I will say about Bruce Brown is that I like the pairing of him and KD 
I think a good way for the Nets to utilize Brown's skill set um, as a part of bench units is in those Kyrie KD lineups where KD generates a lot of offense out of the post. Um, yep. We've seen that more in the second half of the season. And that setup gives Bruce Brown an opportunity to cut from the perimeter as he does so well. Uh, KD had one nice assist to him. Brown hit a, his signature floater in the lane. Um, but KD with his back to the basket, almost always being guarded by a shorter defender, has time to survey the floor, has time to decide what he wants to do. And that just syncs really well with Brown's cutting ability. So I'm interested to see what sort of bench units Brown gets a lot of run with. Does he get a lot of run with the Harden units as he had in the regular season as that short? Or do the Nets use him more with the Kyrie and KD units? But um, other than that, you know, it was nice to see Shamit hit a couple shots. Uh, Claxton had a few very active defensive plays. But um, again, this series is going to be an incomplete for the bench just because the talent disparity is very wide between them and who they're matching up against in the Neesmiths and Pritch, Peyton Pritchards and Jabari Parkers of the world. Um, so I'm really looking forward to see how they play against possibly the Bucks, but it's nice to see them outplay a unit they should outplay. Yeah, and gain some confidence. That was a great point you made about Bruce Brown, specifically on that play, like you said, KD in the post, Brown time the, the cut perfectly. Kemba Walker would look kind of lost, lost and confused out there. So, you know, credit to that. And like you said, you know, some of these other guys stepping up. I thought Landry Shamit had definitely more of an impact in this game. Obviously got a couple more shots, looking a little bit more aggressive. I thought his off-ball movement was better. And also he, I think he drew two offensive fouls on Boston, which is always a plus if you're out there for a limited amount of time. Very true. Um, I, I was kind of surprised he only got 14 minutes in the first game. I think that's a guy, when you think about the bench unit, he's really the only type of player of his, of his, he's the only player of his mold off that bench unit. The other dudes in Green, Brown, and Claxton are all kind of these different front court players um, that you can mix and match with the stars. But let's say Joe Harris is having an off shooting night, he's in foul trouble or whatever. It's going to be important. Important, I think, to have Landry Shamit available to play maybe 20, 25 minutes in a random game three. And you want him to take, he maybe has to take five or six three-point attempts. I think it's going to be important to get him in a rhythm where he's really ready to come off the bench and make an impact. And tonight uh, was a really nice step in that direction. Yeah, I mean, we just saw it in the Bucks and Heat series. You know, Brian Forbes pops off the bench, knocks down a couple threes, and now the game's essentially over. You know, obviously there's other reasons it ended, but having a flamethrower like Landry Shaman who can pop off the bench and also fill in some of that Joe Harris role like you mentioned, that's a pretty big luxury for the Nets that seems like they have a lot of those offensively. But, uh, Lucas, anything else in terms of this specific game? I hope Jeff Green, good. I hope Jeff Green is good, man. Uh, I think, you know, if we're being honest, the, the the disparity in the score played a part to keep him out. I hope. Yeah. Um, hopefully, we, we see him in uh, in game three because he's a, he's been a positive player all year, as you know, when uh, when he's been out there. Yeah, definitely, and it provides you a different type of versatility that you know the other bigs sometimes can't provide. So you know, hopefully, everything's good with Jeff. I think it was a thigh contusion, so. Probably nothing too big. I wouldn't even be surprised if the Nets sat him out, you know, the rest of the series if they really wanted to make sure he was okay. But Jeff's a pretty tough dude. Yeah, uh, he is. And uh, I'm sure, you know, playoffs, there's nothing this guy loves more than hooping, as he's talked about many times, wants to play until he's 45 or whatever. But uh, <laughs> if the Nets want to sit him, I, they, they, I'm sure they have that option. Uh, I'm sure they feel confident 
and their ability to win the series. But for the sake of him and for the sake of us fans, I hope we get a Jeff poster attempt uh, over his former team in a playoff series. I'd love to see it. We almost had a semi one at the end of, I want to say the first half. It was in transition, nothing too crazy. No one was under there for Boston, but next time you never know. But in terms of Boston, I guess talking about them real quick, do you expect to see Jason Tatum in game three? Do you think that eye poke was something serious or just more so like, Hey, we're getting blown out by 30. Let's rest our best player. I hope and think that it was more of that. Um, the eye poke was pretty vicious though. I mean, yeah. straight upward dig into his eye. But um, I think and hope he'll play. It's too early and wouldn't be good form of the Celtics to concede these advantages to the Nets to let them walk through with a free pass to round two. And, um, you know, game three is typically the grittiest game of a series for the big favorite. Road after going up 2-0 is really fighting for their playoff life and the fans are juiced. I'm sure Boston is going to be a pretty hectic environment. So I'm sure Tatum will want to play and I hope he plays and it should be a bit of a challenge for the Nets. I mean, they're going to have to come out and play, man. Yeah, it'd be more beneficial, I think, for Brooklyn if Jason Tatum played, obviously, you know, getting more of those playoff reps, playoff habits, if it's a lesser team, you know, just the easier it gets and the, the more confident, sometimes cocky you can be. But what are you expecting in game three? You mentioned, you know, a gritty, tough performance from both teams. You think the Nets are going to walk away easy with a win? It's going to be a close game. What What's your anticipation for uh, game three? I honestly hope it's a close game. You can never be in too many close situations um, in the early rounds of the playoffs when you're confident in your ability to win anyway. Uh, you don't want the Nets to go into round two having played zero crunch time minutes. Um I, for the for the good of their playoff run, even though it might be a little stressful for me in the moment, I kind of <laughs> I kind of want punched in their mouth. I want them to go on the road and feel the adversity and be down ten early and the arena is chanting how Kyrie sucks and you know even though they've all heard it before, it's good for a team to get that bonding experience to face adversity. Um, and I have a feeling the Celtics will have some fight in them. You know they got some dog in them with Marcus and. Kemba's not going to go down uh, without a fight. Neither is Tatum. So I expect a greedy game, but ultimately, you know, the Nets just have too much talent, and I don't think they want to spend any more time dealing with Boston than they have to. Yeah, especially, you know, Marcus Smart out there diving at legs and all that. That's my biggest fear in this series if someone gets hurt. But that's beside the point. I agree. I think it'd be ideal for the Nets to get, you know, a crunch tie game because, like, the big three really just hasn't had that many moments together. A lot of these players as a full unit haven't had those opportunities to play in crunch time. So that would be great. But honestly, I'm not sure if it's going to happen. Even as, you know, tough as Boston can be, there's just like so many different pluses for the Nets in the series. And I think Boston not only is limited by their talent, but also by their roster and the amount of adjustments that Brad Stevens can even make. Yeah, the depth hurts. The depth hurts when, you know, you may stay within striking distance of the Nets. You're down four or something. And then the Nets bench unit is led by Harden or one of Kyrie or KD. And the role players are better than yours. There's yep. just two minutes where the talent disparity is too wide for me to think, for me to really believe that there's going to be a, a Boston win or multiple close games left in this series. But it would be nice to see. You never know with three-point shooting and, and all that. Yeah, honestly, three-point shooting is the easiest way to make, you know, kind of 
close that talent gap. But Lucas, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Uh, no, that's all, honestly. I mean, hey, I expect a good game in game three. Uh, Celtics got a lot of rookie role players, a lot of inexperienced role players. And you know what they say about those shots falling at home versus on yep. the road. Um, but man, Nets world, uh, life is pretty good. That's all I'll say. I'm having a great time so far. And I, I just I just hope it keeps up. Yeah, honestly, just enjoy every step of the journey because, you know, hopefully this is a really long postseason run and it ends the way we want it to. But every moment just has that different plus. And like you said, it, it just kind of sometimes for us really big Nets fans makes life a little bit more enjoyable. But Lucas, big pleasure. Thank you for hopping on. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.